Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. In today's episode of Project Recovery... It was just so cool, you know, that first ride where I I wasn't sure if anyone was going to show up, and then all of a sudden people started trickling in, and, and, and it was cool because people started saying that this is what they were looking forward to. Um, you know, this was something that they were, they're like, all right, I can't wait till the, you know, the community ride to start. Make sure you listen to the end. Find us on Facebook at Project Recovery. We'll have that and much more coming up. Welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by our friends at KnowYourScript.org. They're a wealth of information. Go check them out. If you or a loved one are trying to figure out opioids, which I think a lot of us are, they can help you talk to yourself, talk to your doctor, and uh, just make sure you're getting the best treatment possible. They're also responsible for our guest today. His name is Colin Easter. We're going to talk to him in just a few seconds. They're responsible for him? Yeah, Yeah, they said, hey, we've got this cool cat. He's got this great organization. You're going to want to hear from him. All right. And I was like, done. So if he does something inappropriate, they have to take care of it? Well, he's not going to. Look at that guy. I know. He doesn't. It would be more likely one of us. Colin, real quick, anytime you showed up to date somebody, were their parents just happy that you showed up? Because you just look like the all-American boy. <laughs> I, I I hope so. <laughs> they're, they're like, see? In yeah, modest, they're... too. Right. Perfect. <laughs> so, Dr. Matt, this first 10 minutes of the podcast is where we kind of talk about our week. Yeah. I had a week that's insane. Oh, Yeah. Crazy. Okay. So it starts out Saturday night. Uh-huh. I'm DJing for Budweiser's employee party. For sure. Why not? <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right. It's a pain. Your brother works for Budweiser. My brother right. works for him. It's so a pain he... gig. I need money. Sure. You know, and I was like, yes. Yeah. And it was at my mom's house. And it was at your mom's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So it was it all I checked all the right boxes. Sure, sure. And that was cool. And you know, the, it wasn't like this crazy party where everybody was just drinking Bud Light and all that. There was some drinking going on, uh, but it was mostly to say thank you to the employees for working hard during COVID. Because as we know, it's hard to get good employees right now. Oh yeah, everybody's struggling with it. Yeah. And and these guys have stepped up and went above and beyond. But the interesting thing was, is while I was do, DJing that party, I had three or four people. People come up to me that were in recovery and that we were talking. One guy had celebrated 31 years. The last time he drank was over in Germany at some metal conference. So metal conference? Yeah, like it was this big metal like conference. heavy metal band yeah. music? Yeah. I don't think they have conferences. I think they have concerts. Well, but I think it was a convergence of all these uh, great okay. metal gods that came together. Came and, together. And threw this party. And he goes, that's the last time I ever drank. And he works for Budweiser? Yep. He's sober 31 years? Yep. Wow, that's an accomplishment. And so that was cool. Yeah. Flash forward to Monday, mm-hmm. I'm emceeing the Salt Lake Parade of Homes. Right. right and that, that was a lot of fun. I met a lot of great people. Also met some people in recovery. Mm-hmm. But I had an interesting thing happen. Uh, they had an open bar. Uh, so, At the Parade of Homes? Well, it, it was a VIP party. Oh, okay. So they had an open bar. <laughs> it's like Parade of Homes has changed since I went last. No, yeah. but it's a great parade. Oh, it is. Fantastic. Yeah. One of the first in the nation's 
Really? Yeah. Well, and you it, say so. Uh, they told me. It was in my script. I'm, then it's got to be true. So I go up to the bar. Yeah. And I go, I just, you know, I, I want a Diet Coke. And so <laughs> they put it in a cup. Yeah, yeah. And so they put it in the cup in the ice. And I'm walking around mingling, talking to everybody. Yeah. And three or four times, people I'm talking to looked at my eye, looked at the cup, yeah. looked at my eye, looked at my cup. Yeah. And then I'd have to go through. It's Diet Coke. Okay. You know what I mean? But I could tell that there was, you know. Yeah, you could see what they're There's they an elephant thinking. in the room. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm talking about recovery. Diet they're, Coke or yeah, Jack and Coke? Diet Coke. Right. And right. I'm not even a fan of Diet Coke, but that's all I had. Okay. It was a dirty Diet Coke. Dirty? What is? What does that mean? Oh, they put a little coconut in it. Really? Yeah. That's a huge does that thing. Does taste good? I mean, it's all right. It's a Diet Coke. <laughs> okay. I've never had that. It, it, it's pretty good. Okay. But that was an amazing time and had a wonderful evening. So did that bother you that people were kind of eyeing your drink and wondering what you're up to? I'm going to get to that in just a second. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then uh, Thursday night, uh, I go out and I talk about recovery in Tooele for our friend Life's Worth Living Foundation. Right. Yeah. And so there, you know, there's a bunch of people out there talking to them, promoting recovery, hearing a lot of stories. You know, sharing hugs, sharing tears. I mean, just a good time. Yeah. Coming up. This Saturday, DJing a funeral. You're DJing a funeral. A funeral. Okay. So here's the deal. So uh, their loved one passed away over a year ago uh-huh. during COVID. Okay. And the family wasn't able to get together for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so this is the first time that they can get so it's together. It's kind of a celebration of life. Yeah. Type get together and i was talking to the lovely it's lady. not the actual funeral it's not the actual funeral okay. but they are gonna so i said so what do you want me to do and they go well here's to be honest with you you know we've all had a year to kind of mourn and come to grips with the, lo- the loss of our mother mm-hmm. and we want to get together so we're going to do a short program before and you know and, and do kind of the proper stuff but then afterwards we want to party we want to dance because we haven't seen these people in over no, a I year think that's great and i thought this is great yeah but you know and so there's going to be alcohol at that one. Okay. And so I go from alcohol to non-alcohol to alcohol to non-alcohol, all these different parties. Yeah. Uh, and then I had somebody reach out to me on Facebook, and I've, I've got the text. Okay. And, and and this is just the craziness that I live in for one week. Um, you do get around. This has been a busy week for you. Um, are you drinking vodka again? You're effing pathetic, bum. I know you're drinking again or maybe using meth, loser. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how you feel. Yeah, I was like, whoa. And that's just out of the blue. So you just got this message through Facebook. Yeah. Totally lights you up. Yeah. Don't even know the person. You don't, Oh, you don't know them? Don't know the person. Okay. So I write, nope, 100% <laughs> sober. Thanks for your concern. Please stop Facebook messaging me. <laughs> Wow. But if you remember. <laughs> How often do you get stuff like crazy, that? Crazy, right? Well, that's pretty intense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot of aggression in that short little text. There's a lot of anger there. Yeah. But remember, probably three, four weeks ago, I said, there's a weird thing going on in my sobriety and my recovery right now because I am now kind of integrating back into normal world, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, just going, doing all, you know, trying to get jobs, working, going to parties. Yeah. And I'm getting requested and uh, paid to show up to certain events, which I did before. 
Right. Yeah. You've done that forever. You know, yeah. and that's how I make my living. That's one of the ways that I provide for my family. And for a while there, I thought that I was never going to be invited back to these events. Oh, really? and, and that, yeah, because I wasn't sure. You know what I mean? I didn't know if my name was tarnished such that they didn't want to be associated with me. I didn't know how it was going to play out. Yeah. And so I'm super stoked to be a part of these events now. And I'm confident in my sobriety to be a part of these events because I know I can do the work. I know I'm good at what I do. I can MC. I can DJ. I can navigate a party and make sure that everybody's yeah, having a good time. You're a great MC, for and sure. So, and so I, I'm really stoked. I know to be, one guy who's not going to hire you to be an MC. That, that guy. Facebook guy. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that that's where it is right now. And so that goes back to the people looking at my cup. Yeah. At first, I, f- I feel a little weird, but I also understand my history. Mm-hmm. So it, it's probably out of concern, you know. I, I think it's out of concern. It's also probably just curiosity. I yeah. mean, normal human curiosity. You've really uh, attacked this message of sobriety and recovery in in your daily life this podcast and now it's you know all over the place and different things that you do you have a big presence on social media and so i think it's just probably curiosity um i know some people kind of hedge towards the negative they might be rooting for you to have a misstep or or a relapse to right to fail oh, yeah. But I bet most people it's more just uh, curiosity. Yeah. And so that's what I, you know, and all week long, I'm like, I'm doing all these wonderful things. I'm meeting all these great people. And without a doubt, anywhere I go do a, an MC or a DJ, I run into fellow people in recovery and we share our stories. And, and it's good because they, they go, oh, you're here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay. And they're like, yeah, me too. But it, it's a, that little community, that connection. Well, I think what's great about probably the culture shift in the last decade to where now people people in recovery were always everywhere, mm-hmm. but we didn't know because they were maybe ashamed or embarrassed to bring it up or worried about you know uh, judgment from other people. And I think people more and more now, especially because of people with kind of a, a public presence like you and others who have come out and talked about their sobriety and their recovery process then just the regular folks in the room are more open about their process. And I think that's like a positive, you know, wave of connection. It's spreading to where people feel like, yeah, I don't have to be ashamed of this. I don't have to be quiet about it. I can go to a place and, and let people know I'm in recovery. And, and people are, are respectful and even curious. How did you do it? And so in my head bouncing around, I was, sometimes I get mad. Because they're questioning me, and then I have to take a deep breath and go, well, no, they're just curious. And and, and it's yeah. the way I perceive them. And and, and so I, I gladly go, no, nope, Diet Coke, and then they move on. You yeah, know, yeah. and I was at, at, the, at the Budweiser party, and I'm drinking water, and I'm having a good time, and everybody's having a good time. And it's just, it's, my, my world feels right right now. I mean, it, it, and I'm very happy. And it brought me to what really started this whole conversation. I heard somebody say this on the radio the other day. Sometimes great presents come in horrible packaging. Yeah. And what does that mean to you? That because of the accident and all the things that happened to me, I looked at it like this was ending my life. This was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Sure. And no matter how much you could have talked to me back then, I would have said, this is it. It's done. It's over. But because of that, I have this wonderful life right now. 
I'm secure in myself. I'm insecure with, I'm secure with my family. And because of that, I get to do what I truly love. And I loved what I did back then. And now I get to do it again because I'm sober and people are giving me an opportunity to do it. I think that's fantastic. I like that saying, you know, great presents come in horrible packages. I think that's fantastic. Has everything to do with our perception. Yeah. And I would venture to guess, Casey, what, what, people may know about you or maybe they don't is everywhere Casey Scott goes, he knows people and people know him. I've never gone anywhere with you where people aren't like, Hey Casey, you know, like people know you because you're such an outgoing, um, optimistic, friendly person. And you've done lots of these events over the years. But my guess is that you're doing them better now. That, that I think that, so. That it's a higher quality Casey showing up to DJ your party or MC the event because you you are sober and you don't get sloppy and 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 I don't think things ever went wrong per se but I mean sometimes it, No, they went wrong sometimes. <laughs> okay. So I was talking to my girlfriend about this and I said normally when I was doing an event and this was up until the very end I would normally have a couple beers before I even got there just to calm the anxiety inside of me some just to kind of just to 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 even out, you know what I mean? Just go, okay. Pre-game. Pre-game, yeah. yes. You know, and then sometimes I would continue drinking. Uh, sometimes I wouldn't, depending on the party. But without a doubt, I would have a couple beers before I ever stepped on stage. And it wasn't when I was doing TV, but when I was emceeing events and stuff right, like that. Right, right, yeah. I, it was always public a, events. Yeah, it was always a couple beers. Yeah. Just to, and I thought I needed it. But because of the past two months and me doing more of these events, I know that I never needed that. I just thought I did. Yeah. And I'm actually better. So what are you doing? So that's a good question. So anxiety, that's not going to be different. In fact, in some ways, since you're doing it without the alcohol, it might be a little bit more acute. What are you doing now to calm your anxiety before you go on stage? Do you really want to know? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> that was a weird way to answer that. Well, I sit in the car. Yeah. And I turn the, the rear view mirror and I face it towards me. And I look at myself. Stuart Smalley? It's almost like a Stuart Smalley, but not to that vein. Okay. I, I, I take a deep breath. Yeah. And I go, look, we can do this. And this is what I did when I was drinking. Yeah. I'd have conversations in the mirror, and the mirror would talk back. But this time, I'm sober, <laughs> and I'm talking in the mirror, and I go, hey, we can do this. And the right. mirror looks back and goes, yeah, you can. Look how far we've come. Look Good. what we've done. And I go, I know, right? Yeah. And so, and then we go, all right, you ready? And the mirror goes, yep, let's do this. That's, go, a, that's a great attitude shift. Yeah, that gets you confidence. And then I open the door yeah. and I get out and... And you do it. Yeah. Nice. And so it, it feels good. And isn't that better than alcohol? Because yes. alcohol slows it all down. And it, it sort of, it just kind of masks that anxiety. It doesn't really bring you confidence. No. You know, no. But, but a positive, healthy attitude... Starting your event off that way, that's that's real confidence. Yeah, so I just go, we got this. And we go, okay. Nice. So it, it's been a crazy week for me. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. And in between events, I always do a self-evaluation. And I go, how did that go? What could we do better? And before, I would never do that. Mm -hmm. You know, because I was just on to the next thing and next thing. There's no time to think. There's no time for self-reflection. Now there's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of time driving home thinking to myself. Well, yeah, when, you, when you're addicted, you don't want to do self-reflection, right? Because no. that's, that's an ugly game to play self-reflection when you're struggling with an addiction. And, and I'll leave you with this because uh, I, I see this on the recovery sites all the time. And if you want to think about your addiction and your past and your future, remember the car. Because on the rearview mirror, it's very small. 
mm-hmm. but the windshield is very big. So, you know, things in your past are going to, you know, let them go away and yeah. focus on what's in front of you. And that's the big picture. I like it. So that's what we try to do on this podcast. And Dr. Matt, I always love sharing some stories with that you. That was a good one. It was yeah. a good one. And uh, you know what? I'm glad for you. I'm so glad that you're having all this work coming your way again. That, that's that's a big deal. And I think you've attracted that by bringing such positive energy to your recovery. And I hope people listening realize they can do that, too. And, and you can. And we're going to hear a story from a young man today and talk about how he got into the recovery world without an addiction. His name is Colin Easter. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today is a registered nurse. Right. I'm excited. His name is East, uh, Colin Easter. Correct. And uh, you're not here because you're an addict, but you're here to help addicts. How does this story of Colin begin? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, really happy to be on the show and just kind of tell you what we're working on. Uh, but yeah, so my journey into medicine was kind of a long path. Uh, got out of high school, um, did a lot of sports in high school, so played water polo. Where did you grow up? Uh, California, so Southern California. Uh, in Claremont, California. All and, right, the uh, SoCal kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, played water polo, kind of never just did sports, school and sports. And so then, no partying in high school? No no partying in high school. And, and so um, when it was time to, you know, apply to schools, I applied all over and got into uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Oh, that's a big party school. Yeah. And so... <laughs> So, know. <laughs> you know, went went up there and actually got into the major, uh, I just chose one, and it was wine and viticulture. <laughs> and so it was- For a guy uh, who never partied. Pump the brakes. Yeah. I'm not sure, <laughs> not sure we have that major at the University of Utah. Yeah. So what is it again? So it's uh, wine and viticulture. Wow. And so what is viticulture? So viticulture is the study of growing the grapes. Okay. So that's actually when you get into the major, you have to decide- uh, what you want to focus on. And so I, I focused on the viticulture, no background in farming, nothing like that. And so this was all like brand new to me. Like, I'm just curious how, like there's so much pressure to pick a major cause it's going to lead to some career. How did you pick that? Were you thinking someday I'm going to be a sommelier or something like that? I mean, I had heard a little bit about it. I liked it cause it was outside. And to be honest, like school was always so hard for me. Um, so when I was applying to colleges, you know, I didn't really do great on the SATs. So I got like, I just was applying, applying, applying. And then I like, when I was looking at majors at Cal Poly, I was like, that looks kind of interesting. So cool. I love, it yeah, sounds fun. Got how, how did the conversation go when you told your mom and dad that that's the major you chose? <laughs> they thought it was cool. You oh, know? Cool. Yeah. They were like, all right, congratulations. <laughs> that, that's a Southern California parent. Just yeah. so you know. Right on, like, man. Yeah. That's cool. it. That makes yeah. you happy. It's good. Yeah. That'd be cool, son. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was, um, and I come, so my dad, he's a OBGYN, so he's a doctor. Mom was a nurse. Um, that's how they met back east, uh, and and so, so you know, it was kind of a different path. So you know, our, my grandpa he's an OBGYN, and my dad's brother's an OBGYN. So it was kind of like this shift. Um, and so moved up to school, settled in. Obviously, it was like kind of nerve wracking when you're getting dropped off, and all of a sudden you have like all this freedom. And so quickly, it was just. I mean. 
you know, there's parties up there, and sure. and all of a sudden school becomes something that you it's up to you to go to. Yeah, nobody's calling. No you one's really it's the first you. time you haven't been supervised in right. your life. Yeah, and that's why freshman year. Uh, well, sophomore year, you're making up a lot of credits from freshman year. For a I lot was of making people. up credits my second sophomore year. <laughs> yeah, well, that helps if you do two sophomore years. I did. Yeah. yeah, and so you automatically got kind of thrust into the party life, right? And and no no experience with it. And so my personality is kind of I have an addictive personality. When I was in sports, I just I just latched on, and and so that kind of that was what ended up happening essentially, and and. It was it was fun and new and I was making friends and it was like I it was awesome and and then quickly was realizing that it was starting to affect my classes but of course when you're hanging out with the people that are doing it they're like you'll be fine like you know just cr- cram before the finals and you know you'll be good and and so quickly realized and you know th- it was just so opposite of what I normally was like in high school and and quickly realized like I was not doing good in my classes. And then the way it was working out was like, I didn't really have, like I wasn't sharing, you know, I was saying that my grades were doing great, but they weren't. And I didn't really have to like show that to, you know, my parents. And then one day my dad was like, yo, let me see what your grades are looking like. And then that was kind of, you know, basically I was, I was failing. And so got put on academic probation, thought that that would like kind of turn it around. You know, you think that would motivate you didn't, and, you know, went on academic probation for a second time. And that's when, you know, got kicked out of college. And it was just like, it's embarrassing. And you just think, God, how did that, like, how did I screw that? You know, two years you're up there and it's just, you know, so parents were like, all right, time to come home and you got to figure, figure this out, you know, like, and, and they're so supportive and I'm really close with my family. And so I was just like, all right, like come home. Obviously, I was upset and I, I hated it because it was like I'd made a bunch of friends up there. So moved home and uh, I had a friend, Jess Gilkey, up at school. And as I was kind of in the throes of not doing well, he was like, you're, you're going to fail out of school and you're going to become a janitor. He's like, you watch. And like, I was like, yeah, good one. Like, we're out like at a party. I'm like, yeah, good one, buddy. Like, that'll happen. He's reading your future. Yeah. So then I, I get home. And I'm home and I'm looking for jobs and like, of course, there's a job that says night shift janitor, like apply here. And I, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so I was like, but it was with Pomona College, which was a great university down in Southern California. I was like, well, so I applied and I got the job. Goodwill hunting. Yeah. And then that was, that became the joke. So like I would be calling up Jess like. Yeah, I'm going to be doing math equations on the board, and, <laughs> yeah. and he's like cracking up, and and so I mean, it was like, I, like I'm like I always joke about stuff, but like you know, deep down, you're like, God, this sucks. This is embarrassing. Yeah, I'm a janitor now, and not that. I mean, it's a hard job. Like, and there, if there's a job that teaches you, you want to make a a change, it's like start cleaning up <laughs> toilets, and yeah, and that'll switch your mindset pretty quickly. I had a job uh, briefly in my undergraduate years where I would clean up a urology office at night. So it was basically a mega janitor job. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. So you're, so you're doing night janiting, janitoring, janitorioling. Yep. Correct. And uh, master of the custodial arts. There you go. (laughs) Nailed it. Yeah. So how long do you do that for? So I did that for about, I think two years. 
And in that time, uh, you know, wasn't happy, but like that was kind of my first introduction. You know, my younger brother Griffin and my older brother Stratton, they were both riding their road bikes, bicycling. And they were, and I had done that too through school, you know, but I had stopped doing it as much. Did your drinking continue during your janitorial yeah. time? Yeah, probably continue. You know, obviously there was like, I wasn't happy. And so it was just kind of like something to do, you know, in your home. And, and so, but I remember my, my brother going like, what are you doing? Like, you know, like you should, you should get back into biking. Like this is a great way to, you know, pass the time. So I started riding a little bit more. And then during that time, I remember I was out to lunch with my mom and we were eating and we saw an ambulance drive by and she was like, she's like, I think you'd be good at that. Like, you ever think, you know, we want to try that, like be an EMT, like maybe you might be good at that, you know? And so I was like, all right, you know, fine, I'll, I'll try it, you know? And so I went to Citrus College, which is a community college. And, uh, you know, I was, I remember sitting outside thinking like, what am I doing? This is stupid. And, you know, went in, there was like a line of people that were on the wait list. And I was like, perfect. Like, I don't, I'm not going to get in this class. So that'll be good. At least I went, you know, that kind of thing. And we all got little tickets, you know. And then, of course, they called the lottery of the ticket holders, which was the line. And my numbers called. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm doing it now. And so then that was when I got introduced to Cliff Hatzel. He was my EMT teacher who I'm still close with today. And and he, it was just like, that was the first time school was fun. And like, I I was studying, I was like reading the book. I never read the textbook. And I, I was highlighting and I was going to the library and I, I felt like I finally was getting good grades. Like I was getting A's and B's on tests. And, and it was just such a great feeling to finally find that passion. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like, because it's in my blood, but it was like, you could see my parents were like, I think you found it. Like, I think, you know, you're good at this. And I'd go to clinicals and it was like, I was on it, you know, like on the ambulance. And, and it was like, finally, it felt like sports, you know, it's fast paced and it's, it's a rush, know, right? It's a rush. Yeah. yeah. And like going Never know lights what you're and gonna, sirens to yeah. something, you're just like, this is awesome. So, so now you're a certified EMT and you want to take you to the next level. Right. So, uh, two years on the ambulance in Los Angeles and then two years in the ER at the hospital my dad worked at in uh, San Antonio Hospital. And then that was when I really loved the ER. And I just loved that it was a controlled environment. It was well lit, which like going... What was it like LA in nighttime? I mean, a lot of, a lot of addiction, a lot of, lot of substance abuse, a lot of stuff. You, I mean, you, you were on the front row. Yeah. So I... Surprisingly enough, I worked on a 24-hour unit, um, so we slept at the station, and we were the psych ambulance. So we went to all the – we were an inter-facility transport unit, so we would take people from psych hospitals back to the hospital, you know, picking people up, and then we did a lot of calls to the jails, like the L.A. County Jail, and it was an experience for sure, you know. Bringing people in for evaluations yeah. from jail to the hospital. Having like a sheriff sit in yeah. the back with you. and oh, yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a, a great experience. And, but like when I got to the ER, just like, you know, having a controlled environment, like it was awesome. You had all your supplies there with you. you it was well lit. You could see things and like, you were just like, all right, I, that was where I found like, and then really 
I love just like watching the nurses. It was just like that. I just was like, okay, that's what I want to do next. Like I want to be a nurse. And so um, a buddy of mine, Reese Kagans, he was going to school at Colorado Mesa in Grand Junction. And he um, was playing soccer there. And he's like, hey, they got a great nursing program here. You should come to school here. So I just was like, all right, let's do it. So I packed up and went to school again for part two. So let me ask you a quick question. So so you're at college, you, you get into the drinking, the party scene, wash out of college, you go home, you're working as a janitor to fulfill your buddy's, you know, predictions, <laughs> right? And uh, and you keep drinking during that time because, like you said, you were you were bummed out and bored when you weren't at work. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you find your passion. You 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 surprise you you win the lottery quite literally because. You find this passion, you find a great teacher, and, and I can't emphasize enough how, how important it is to find a great teacher, a great mentor in life. Does that change? Does your drinking start to change at that point when you find your passion, or did you keep drinking the same? So so I had you know a moment where my parents sat me down one day in my room and were like, you need to, you need to knock it off kind of thing. And so, and I'm for what, like, I'm very close with my, my mom and dad. And, and so to have that happen was like enough for me to kind of go, like, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, did that like stop, like, I think it kind of slowed it down a lot. Um, and then it was really when I got out to Colorado for nursing school, cause like what I realized was, you know, it wasn't at the level that I was doing it at, but then there was always, if you went out, it could always get to that level So that was what was getting me nervous was like, it's like there was no in between. It was kind of like, you know, you'd go out to a party and then like next thing you you started, you couldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so when I was out at school out in Grand Junction, um, I remember I was getting back into cycling once again, like the bike, I, I really enjoyed it. I was good at it. And that was when, you know, my brother Griffin was kind of like, Hey, cause he was racing down at, uh, Fort Lewis college in Durango He's like, you should just stop and you should see what happens when you stop. You should try to go all in on cycling and just and stop, stop. The drinking, stop drinking. Yeah. And so and and I mean, I was like, you know, I just wasn't that healthy, you know, like on the ambulance, um, you know, the culture of EMS. It's like you're smoking cigarettes, you're chewing tobacco, you're drinking energy drinks, you're drinking, you know, it's like. A lot so, of stimulants, right? A lot to of keep stimulants yeah. to stay awake, and and so it's a lot like of gas station burritos. Yeah, horrible burritos, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so, so like, I I finally kind of just said, all right, like let's see. I almost kind of took it as like, all right, yeah, let's let's see what happens if I I stop. And so then I I felt you know surprising. I mean, it's so simple, but you feel amazing, and you all of a sudden things just start clicking, like school is better and your relationships are better and you're, you feel good and you feel like you're waking up early in the morning and you're getting after it. And then my training got better. And then that, you know, led to me getting onto my uh, first pro cycling team. And so it was just like the bike, you know, looking back is like the bike has always been this thing that like has kind of been a part of my life. And then it was the, the one thing that like got me to focus and and took me to a professional cycling team and then next thing i know i'm traveling all over the world racing and so so here you go again isn't it interesting casey like how many of our guests 
uh, have that all in personality. Yes. That just, I'm going to go in 100%. Because he, he just made it sound like, oh, yeah, I stopped drinking and I was practicing and then I was a pro cyclist. Pro, whoa, back up, professional cyclist. That's a big deal. That's a lot of work. And that just tells me that, man, people with that kind of all in 100% personality, if it's if channeled it's, in the right way, channeled in the right way, the success is just boom. It's unstoppable. I want to ask you, um, do you think had you not stopped drinking, and this is, could be loading, you can tell me no. What are the chances you could have become an alcoholic? Um, you know, I I think that uh, very much so. I think that you know, like the way things were going, there was no positive outcome to the way things were going. You know, I think that you know, I was talking with my mom today. We were just kind of talking about how cool it was. You know, where where I was and where I am today. And and just how proud of that that change that we you know we all are you know were about that and and I think we were both saying it's like what what would have happened you know See, it's that's like the you, crazy you would have gotten but that's know. that's one of the reasons we started this Colin is because maybe your rock bottom doesn't have to be a rock bottom and I know from experience and from Facebook messages and people's personal stories but because of this podcast they didn't hit their rock bottom they did a self evaluation they did check themselves and my, you know what I could I don't need to know where this is going because I I I, I, I could just change now and that's what we wanted to be and so that's what I mean you're telling your story and although you're not an alcoholic. What you were saying was so similar to so many guests that have been on this podcast. Yep. But luckily, something happened, an intervention or something, and all the things lined up. You won the lottery that you dramatically changed the course of your life without having to hit that rock bottom. I mean, for some people, getting kicked out of school would have been a rock bottom. For some people, being a you know a janitor would have been a rock bottom, which I think it's a good profession. But I, I mean, I understand where, you know where where Cohen's coming from. It's not what he was wanting to be. Yes, though, and that's what that's the difference. Right? And and then you know and then your brother goes, hey, just quit and see what happens. And I tell people that all the time that they go, I don't know if I drink too much. And I go, well, the fact that we're having this conversation probably means you do. Yeah. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll play. I'm good. I go, here's what I suggest you do. Give up drinking for one year. And at the end of the year, if your life's not better, then you can always go back and drink. But I'll bet you your life will be better. I have a long list of things that are improved. Yes. From relationship to health to job to personal, all that. I bet you money that your life will be better. Yeah, anybody take you up on it? No, because a year seems like a long, yeah. like too long of a time. But they're and they're still negotiating. And that's your answer. Am I drinking too much? Yeah, yeah. And they're still negotiating their sobriety. Right. They're trying to figure it out. By that point, it's already got them. Well, I think the thing that 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 Colin that you're bringing up that is so along the lines of what I'm interested in when it comes to recovery is is passion and perception. And that is, you know, you found something to motivate you, something that was healthy and positive. Uh, it, it started off with, with getting into the field of medicine through being an EMT. And then on top of that, it was health through the, the, the competitiveness of bicycling. And then the perception, and I think that's what you're talking about, Casey, is like we've had people uh, come on this program and people can go back and listen to past episodes and they've, they'll say something horrific happened and Casey and I look at each other. We're like, well, this there's the, there's the rock bottom. Nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next horrific thing happens. It's even worse. There's the rock bottom. Nope. And it, it, oftentimes 
the the change point, the turning point, has everything to do just with the person's perception. And so, uh, what do you think it was about your brother's challenge and about the bicycle that changed your perception to, yeah, I think I will follow his advice and and shift and not drink anymore and focus on the bicycling. What what about that? Do you think changed your mind? Um, I think for me, it was, it was like, I wasn't happy with who I was when I was drinking. Uh, it was, it was, I wasn't fun to be around. Um, and then I think that I love sports and I, I just like, I knew that I could be good at cycling. And when he said that, and he was like, I think you could do this. It was almost like it was just that that moment where I was like, you know what? Yeah, I want to I want to stop. I just like I I'm done with this. I'm getting older now. And it's like I was just like, I just want to try something different. Like I want to see what happens. And and I'm just like so grateful I did because it's just led to so much cool stuff. So ended up being a professional bike rider. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not where his story ends. Uh, you're you, you're now a registered nurse. Correct. You find yourself working at uni, which is now Huntsman Mental Institute. Mental Health Institute. Yep. 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 And uh, you find yourself on the detox floor. And that's a floor that I spent seven days on. That's where most people here in Utah, a lot of them, if, if they're going to detox from alcohol or opioids. In or, my opinion, it's the place to go. Yeah. It's a, a safe, healthy place to go I for agree. detox. And you said after the first day, you really enjoyed it there. Yeah. And so, and I always kind of think that things happen for a reason. And so I had, I had just finished racing the tour of Utah. I was finishing up nursing school, knew that I wanted to work. Um, we did a month out here in Park City to altitude train prior to the race and uh, stayed with the family up in Park City, the Swinsons. They're super cool. And, uh, and every day of the stage of the race, there was U Health was sponsoring the medical. So I'd just ride up to the booth and I would say, hey, I want to work at your hospital. Just letting you know, I'm graduating nursing school. And they're like, all right, great. Like, good luck today. It's like, cool. And then I just next stage, go right back. and like, hey, again, like, <laughs> I just letting you know, like, I'm, com- I'm coming. I'm going to work. And then they're like, okay, cool. So that race ends and I had a week off of racing and I was down in Durango. And so I just packed up a bag, got a nice outfit and I drove up up here to Salt Lake, I applied to every floor of the hospital and I, I just went in. This is obviously pre-COVID. Uh, went in and I would just go to these floors and everybody would look at me like I was crazy. They're like, what What are you doing? I was like, I'm just here to meet the, the manager, let them know I applied. And they're like, oh, all right. So I'd say hello. and I hope the kids out there are listening. That's how you get a job. <laughs> That's yeah. tenacity. That is yeah. how you get a job. I it's, hope my kids are listening. Yeah. And so, so then eventually one of the places they were sitting and talking with me and they're like, you know, I think, uh, uni or, you know, now Huntsman Mental Health Institute, they're like, I think they're hiring on the detox unit. And, and I had applied to that unit. So I was like, cool, I'm going to go over and introduce myself. So drive over, you know, kind of have a little bit forgot about, you know, from my psych ambulance days that psych hospitals are locked facility you know, you got to yeah. kind of have like a an appointment, you know, it's for the safety of the patients, for the staff. And so I show up and I'm like, hi, how you doing here to meet the manager for the detox unit? And they're like, nope, 
Like, <laughs> no, like, we'll let her know you're here, but like, you can't go up there. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. So I give him my number and I head out and I'm like, God, that's, that sucked. And then I'm sitting, <laughs> sitting in the parking lot and I get a phone call and it's, uh, Cheryl Salmon, and she's the manager, nurse manager for the the floor. And she goes, "Hi, I got a, a call that you're here to you know meet with me." I go, "I introduce myself," and and she goes, "Where are you?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm in the parking lot right now." <laughs> and then she goes, "All right, I have a few meetings. Why don't you let me talk to a few people? I'll call you back, and we might be able to get you an interview." And I was like. Okay, cool. Awesome. So I go back to my hotel. I go get suited up for a bike ride. I'm like a block away from the hotel, get the call. And she's like, hey, we can do it. Like, can you be up here? And I like, whoop, you know, U-turn, get my, get dressed again, head up. And then it was just like, this is my first nursing interview. Like I was nervous. And it was just one of those things where it just felt like organic and natural and she was just she loved how i like drove from colorado and like and so we connected really well and she goes i think you're a great fit for what we're doing like i think this would be a great first nursing job like and so that was that and it, and then i said sure i'll do it and then and i'll just put my plug in i've been you know over the years had lots of reasons to interact with people at different facilities and one of the reasons I did my postdoctoral fellowship there uh, was because of the people. And to to put a plug in that's positive for Huntsman Mental Health, I am not surprised she called you back. And I'm not surprised she got you in for an interview that day just because that's the culture up there. It's a great place to work. And it's also a great place to go get better. Yeah. So how long did you work there? So I was there two years. Um, and it was just awesome. I... But while you were there two years, you had some family problems arise. Yeah. So right around when I started, this is my first introduction to detox. Um, and I I like fell in love immediately. And I think that one, I was able to kind of connect with people and just kind of say, you know, I had a better idea of like what it felt like to kind of be not, sometimes. I mean, there were stories that were just insane, but, you know, like I felt like I could actually sit down and talk with these people coming through. and I mean, for your short experience in partying, but you probably went through some of the similar stuff they are. Uh, you know, at one point during your conversation, you said you didn't like the person you are. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's very relatable for a lot of addicts and mm-hmm. a lot of people that are in that situation. So I think there was a relatability that probably drew you to them and them to you. Yeah. And so you're there and you get a call from home. Yeah, so we, we, uh, our cousin Matt, um, so he, he had been struggling with, uh, a heroin addiction. And, and this was happening right when I started working there. So I'm, I'm getting firsthand experience seeing it in the community, seeing that it, it has no, uh, it, it does not discriminate. No. Uh, you know, we had business professionals, athletes. Uh, it wasn't what you normally think is like the addict that you think of on the street or, you know, and all this, walks of life. All walks of and life. And at this point, do you know enough that it ends two ways? Either they stop or they die. Right. And and, and so so I was hearing, we would get the phone calls, you know, and, and we were getting updates on Matt and that, you know, he was in and out of treatment. And 
and it was it was a roller coaster. You would see how just like even with his family that it it just affected everybody and and we were we were close, but it wasn't like we weren't. I wasn't always calling. They lived in Pennsylvania. It wasn't like we were calling every day and that kind of thing. And so there was always this part of me like I felt like man, I'd love to reach out to him because I'm working in this field. But it was also hard because it was like you know he wouldn't be answering his phone or you know that kind of thing. And so there was always that part of me that was like, damn, you know, I wish I could reach out. Um, and so then. But it was essentially like it got to that point where we were all just like, you know, it was kind of that thing where you were just you were just wondering when you were going to get that call that something bad happened. And eventually we did get that call. Um, a bad, I guess a bad batch went out to that community uh, of heroin and it was cut with fentanyl or, you know, whatever. And and, you know, he overdosed and passed away. And so it was just like. You, it was just something that you couldn't believe because growing up as kids with Matt, like he was just so funny and, and like he was an athlete and he was just this full of life kid. And, and it was to to hear that you're just going like, how, how does that happen? You know, like um, coming from a family of uh, medical professionals and, and it's like you just think that it was just, it rocked, it rocked me to the, in a like manner of like, you know, you would just never want that to happen to anybody. And, and it was just so hard to hear that news. And so um, it was like, that was when I kind of had this moment where I was like, I, I like, I wanted to do like my brain, the way it works is like, I I want to make a solution. I, I need to try to like fix, fix it. And we're going to find out how he came to the solution and his ideas to help fix the opioid epidemic. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Colin Easter. Uh, unfortunately, you just lost your cousin to a bad batch of heroin. And you said in your own mind, you've got to figure out a way to fix or help the problem. And how did you come up with an idea to do that? What is your idea? So so after this all happened, I was we were out to dinner, my brother and I, Griffin, and you know, I started thinking, I started brainstorming ideas. I said, let's try to figure out a solution to this. And, you know, the bike, once again, has been a part of my life and, and such a tool that I've utilized and taken me to so many amazing places. It was just like natural. I just said. And your brother's a professional cyclist at that time as well, yeah, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, it's got to be the bike. I go, let's let's use the bike to let's incorporate the bike into their recovery treatment. And that was kind of when uh, Opicure Foundation was born. Now, the Opicure Foundation is a foundation you started with your brother. And your mission statement is what? So essentially, we're raising awareness on opioid abuse. Uh, we're trying to redefine best practices and then, you know, just affect positive change in Utah and beyond. Um, now, when you, you say best practices, what are some of the things that you come up with? So what we're doing is we're utilizing the bicycle. Uh, we've got a couple of different pillars that we're kind of, uh, you know, founded on. So the first being we're going to be doing a community ride. Uh, this community ride will be every Sunday at 9 a.m. leaving from Huntsman Mental Health Hospital in the back parking lot. Uh, it goes, we go up to the top of Emigration Canyon, 
Uh, but you can you can take the ride where however far you want to go and flip it whenever. So it's for all levels of cyclists. But really, a, an event, a community event that's consistent. It's weekly, and it's a place for people to show up uh, wherever you're at. If you've known someone that's struggled, if you currently struggle with an addiction, or you know, you've lost someone, it's a place to come together and be a, be a part of a community. Now, because of COVID, it put uh, some of your plans on hiatus. But have you seen some success with what you guys are doing in the community thus far? I mean, have you? I mean, what are some of the outcomes of people that you're talking with? Yeah, so we we got about four or five rides in prior to being you know COVID shutting things down, and we had great turnouts. We had like fifteen to twenty people that would come out. A lot of them were from Huntsman Mental Health, like just the, the staff and everything, but. It was just so cool, you know, that first ride where I, I wasn't sure if anyone was going to show up. And then all of a sudden people started trickling in. And 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 it was cool because people started saying that this was what they were looking forward to. Um, you know, this was something that they were they're like, all right, I can't wait till the, you know, the community ride to start. And so that was really neat was we we really got a good following in that short amount of time. And one thing to keep in mind, and I, I don't know if, if everybody knows, the term best practices is, is, is an actual thing. What that means is that, uh, any, in any medical specialty, you have best practices, and those are practices of treatment that have qualified to, to be successful at a certain level. So we would say, you know, if somebody comes in for a particular issue, we want to start with, you know, what are the best practices for treatment for that person? So, I think it's important for the listener to know uh, what you guys are doing is pretty impressive because you're not just raising awareness and not just doing a fun community bike ride, but you're actually looking at how does being on this bike, exercising and the and the connection with other people, how does that affect the 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 person in their uh, hopefully potential recovery going forward? So you guys are actually going to be measuring this. You're going to be measuring change over time and hopefully be able to show that, hey, this could be incorporated as one of those best practices uh, for for addiction recovery. Is that right? Yes, correct. So we're, we're going to be researching. Um, that's another aspect of our foundation. And so we partnered up with the University of Utah Health and uh, Huntsman Mental Health Institute. Uh, they made an unbelievable donation for us and made it possible for us to purchase uh, 10 bicycles so we're going to have 10 bikes. We're working with USARA, uh, Mary Jo. Love them. Yeah, they're great. And and we're reaching out to the recovery centers in Utah, um, specifically their alumni program, and just trying to get the word out. We have this online application that we've put together, and we're essentially going to look at – we're going to try to get two six-week cohorts to come on board. We're going to give them structured training plans. Um, we're, we're working with – you know, essentially giving them the pro cycling experience and seeing how does that benefit them in their recovery? How does that benefit their active recovery? Um, and so, how cool yeah. is that? That's amazing. Like, I, <laughs> to me, that is so awesome because one of the things we've talked about for a couple of years on the show now is there are a lot of different ways to to get into recovery and to be a healthy uh, person who's no longer using uh, your your substance your your drug of choice and and this is such a cool creative but sort of almost a no brainer sort of way to go I, I love it yeah I'm looking at your notes here and it says you guys look at prevention through a recovery lens 
What does that mean? So essentially, you know, we understand that recovery is an, an ongoing thing. And so it's very, very important to know that that's an active process, that that doesn't ever end and that it can go on. I mean, it goes on for the rest of their lives. And so we want to look at, I mean, which was why it was so cool when we connected with Know Your Script, you know, just their initiative of just that education and like really getting people familiar with how do you best prepare for that conversation at the hospital if you come across a, a time when you might need pain medication or um, and really like we're just trying to surround ourselves with people that have that same mindset that like this is an active task that you need to participate in every single day and we're going to try to give you the tool that will help get you week to week to week to week. And then in a lot of cases, that is the case, you know, how do I make it to Sunday again for this next ride? And so we're really proud that we can be that event that maybe you show up and you're having a great day, or maybe you show up and you're not having a great day and you're just, you, but you're there and you're present. And I think that looking through that recovery lens is just kind of understanding that everybody's recovery is different and everybody is at a different place in there, but we're there, we're meeting you there and we're trying to be the best that we can be so that you can be successful. When you think about recovery, uh, and I often do, uh, there's, there's, you know, there's fit to recovery, which, uh, you know, people come out and then they get their health back and they start working out. And it's been a vital part to my recovery is going to the gym every day. There's uh, fit to recovery has an offshoot of music to recover. And it's where all these guys who are in bands come together and they just jam and they just play. That's great. I didn't know that. Yeah. They get to do what they like to do in a safe setting, you know, and then uh, I mean, there's all kinds of different stuff like that. And there might be somebody out there in recovery right now that's looking for something where they go, I don't play an instrument. And I really don't want to. And I'm not a big fan of lifting weights or throwing kettlebells around. But I've always enjoyed. Everybody likes a bike. Yeah. Everybody likes a bike. You know what yeah. I mean? And so maybe this is it. And the, what I love about this and what a welcome uh, addition to the recovery community this is, is it's just another tool for those in recovery to branch out and see something that might click. And that's what we're all looking for is something that clicks in our recovery that goes, now it makes sense. This, yes, yes, I'm in. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. And so they can come and they can give it a shot. You do the community rides, you said, every Sunday? It's every Sunday, 9 a.m. Yeah, And if we'll put a link at the bottom of this uh, in our Facebook post and all that. But if people want more information about what you guys do, where do they go? So you can go to our website, uh, opcure.org. Um, and on there, there's a tab that go, it says sponsorship. You can scroll down. It'll show you the link to take if you want to apply to our program or if you know someone that's interested in applying. Um, and then it also gives you an idea of when our community rides are happening and, and all the information in between of you know what we are and what we're trying to do. So, You know, the thing that I like about this podcast as we wrap it up is that, you know, uh, you know, because of Know Your Script, this is how we got a hold of Colin Easter, you know. Right. And before we were getting ready to do this podcast, you know, we were talking about the OPE and, and, and everything that you guys are doing. And I don't think he had any idea you were going to sit down and talk about your story. But I think your story is so insightful for many of our listeners out there that might be doing similar things that you were doing, trying to figure out life, you know, just kind of not happy with how it's going, but not sure where to go. And I like the fact that you didn't have to hit a complete rock bottom 
uh, to change your life. You found something. You found that passion, as Matt said. You know, it ignited something in you, and it started with you know the, the medical field and to back to the bike, and and now you're doing wonderful things to give back. I mean, I'm just I'm impressed by your story all around. Yeah, I, I think. Uh it's all again i've said it before it's all about perspective like what are we focused on how do we perceive and interpret the experiences we have in life and i hope that gives people hope that you don't have to like casey says blow up your own life in order to uh, make healthy positive changes um and as as you were talking a minute ago about like there's fit to recover there's music to recover we now have Bicycling to recover, I guess. Um, the connection. Run to recover. Yeah, run to recover. There's a lot of these things. What I love about them is they all have a, um, a common factor. There's another research term. What are the common factors that make all these things work? And one of them is. Connection. Yeah, the opposite of addiction is. Connection. And so I love the fact that you guys are doing this together, getting everybody together, people from all walks of life. Sounds like you have staff members and professional medical folks along with people who have been touched by addiction or people who are struggling with addiction and recovery. And so I love the fact that people can go there and feel that community because nothing really can can bring you along when you're having a bad day, like feeling connected with other people. It's that it's the disconnect and the loneliness that keeps us in our bad habits and, and in our addiction. So I love the fact that this is another example of connection being part of the overall solution. So what does life look for look like for you right now? Well, uh, so working full time up at the, I, I started up at the emergency department. So now I'm transitioning into working like at a level one trauma center. Now um, I want you to be nice to, there's going to be a new phlebotomist starting up there okay. in the next few weeks. Your son? My son, Jake, is going to be working. All right. He's very, very excited. He's in training at ARUP right now, and then he's hired on at the main hospital. So so if some goofy-looking kid that sort of looks like me. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, go, no, give him a hard time. Give him a flat tire when he's running yeah. around doing stuff. And Yeah. A year ago, he'd have been easy to pick out because he had yeah. three nipples. But yeah, now he got, just looks like just everybody else. just got two nipples now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So, so you're uh, working so up there. Working full-time up there, and then I, I uh, got – I applied and got accepted into the nurse practitioner program. Excellent. Um, for the acute care tract. And so that starts August 23rd and then just doing this foundation thing full time. And so you are a go getter, man. <laughs> yeah, now, people I'm don't, telling you, I mean, nursing parents is, love this kid. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a daughter, but she's way too young. Yeah. Darn it. But like nursing is such a challenging uh, tract of study. Um, my sister's a nurse practitioner. I work with a lot of great nurses and nurse practitioners, and it is challenging. You're taking it to the next level, working in the ER, starting a foundation. Right? It's impressive, man. It's a lot. I don't. You wouldn't even have time to drink. I don't think. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. So once again, if people want more information about your uh, company and your foundation, where do they go? Uh, www.opicure.org, and then you can get all the info right there. And that's O-P-I-C-U-R-E. Correct. Awesome. Hey, thank you very much. We appreciate you stopping by and listening to the Project Recovery today. Brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. We love them. Couldn't do it without them. You're listening to Project Recovery, a KSL podcast.
The contents of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.